I'm Diana Penanchel, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and you're listening to Call Number with American Libraries. Still reeling from Super Bowl excitement? This episode, Call Number features conversations with librarian athletes who represent three distinctive sports, wheelchair racing, pickleball, and powerlifting. First, American Library's associate editor Megan Bennett speaks with Paralympian and librarian Amanda McGrory. McGrory, a seven-time medalist, has competed in wheelchair racing in four Paralympic Games. Now retired from racing, she oversees the archive for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Then, American Library senior editor Greg Landgraf chats with Drew Evans, retired law librarian and pickleball enthusiast. Evans calls himself the pickleball librarian and uses social media to promote and teach this trending sport. Finally, I speak with nationally recognized competitive powerlifter Hilary Schiraldi. Schiraldi also serves as business librarian and interim head of the Social Sciences Division at University of California, Berkeley. First, an ad from our sponsor. National Library Week is coming up fast, April 7th to the 13th. The theme for National Library Week 2024, Ready, Set, Library, highlights how libraries give everyone a green light to something truly special, a place to connect with others, learn new skills, and focus on what matters most. No matter where you find yourself on life's roadmap, the library provides an inclusive and supportive community where everyone belongs. Get ready to explore, become inspired, and connect with your library this National Library Week. Libraries are there for you, all the way to the finish line. Visit ALA.org to learn more. Amanda McGrory is an archivist for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, as well as an accomplished wheelchair racer. She spoke with American Libraries Associate Editor Megan Bennett about her experiences competing in the Paralympics and earning her MLIS. Can you share a little bit about how you got into the sport and what it was like for you competing at the highest level at the Paralympics? So I started competing um, as a kid. I was kind of looking for a way to stay active and I didn't know this, but my parents discovered adaptive sports and this was like way back in the pre-internet days. They thought it'd be great for me to find a community of other kids with disabilities to be active, to learn some new skills and just to make some new friends. And so I started playing basketball and also doing track and field with the city of Philadelphia Parks and Rec Department in 1997. And I absolutely loved it. It was the first time as a kid that I just felt completely free and not at all self-conscious about who I was, how I looked, how I experienced the world, how I was different from all of my peers. And, you know, as a kid, anything that you are good at, you tend to like a little bit more. And I showed some early talent, both as a wheelchair basketball player and as a wheelchair racer, and ended up continuing on with both as a dual sport athlete through high school, which is Really an incredible testament to the dedication of my parents, who just drove me all around the East Coast for 10 years, um, so that I could have the opportunity to compete in all of these sports. My college selection plan was basically, where can I go to play sports? So I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. I just knew that I wanted to continue participating in sports. I wanted to go to the Paralympics. Luckily for me, I got into the University of Illinois, was there on a 
wheelchair basketball scholarship and was planning on using wheelchair racing um, track and field just kind of as off-season cross-training. And my sophomore year, I got bribed into doing a marathon, which was further and longer than I ever thought that I would go. And as a surprise to me, I turned out to be pretty good at it. And so things kind of switched from there. And I went to my first Paralympic Games in 2008. And it was great. I had a fantastic time. Um, Once I kind of found my niche with the long distance stuff, I found a lot of success really quickly. So I went from doing my first marathon to winning my first marathon to setting course records and world records and making my first Paralympic team and winning a gold medal. And I was just like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. This must be how it goes for everyone. Then I graduated from college and went to the London Paralympic Games and came home without any medals and was like, oh, maybe that is not how it works. It's funny you talk about that switch in sports. I mean, of course, there's that parallel of the switch from athlete to librarian. And so I'm interested in what inspired you to pursue a career in librarianship post-athletic career. After I graduated with my undergrad, I took some time off to just pursue being a professional athlete and went to the London Games. I was working part-time managing a massage therapy office and kind of built that in between my training. So training was my focus throughout all of it. After the London Paralympic Games, coming home without any medals and just kind of being really disappointed about my performance, I spent the next couple of years trying to figure out what I could do to improve that. So the the really wild thing is that I entered a graduate program because I thought that it would improve my sports performance. <laughs> and I found that when I had more on my plate and I was forced to divert my attention and really focus on what I was working on at that time. So as a professional athlete, I could show up at practice anytime that I wanted to. I didn't really have any structure. I didn't really have any schedule. And that wasn't working well for me. So I spent some time in between 2012 and 2016 thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up because I still didn't know. And the thing about being a professional athlete is that you don't get to do that forever, no matter how good you are at it. And then also decided that applying to a graduate program uh, to coincide with the Rio Paralympic Games might be a really good choice for me because it would bring my schedule back to something more similar uh, to what it was when I was an undergrad when I was training for Beijing. After some debate, volunteering at a local public library and a couple of different departments, I was like, I think, I think this is something that I want to do. I love books. I love reading. I love organizing things. This will be great. You've been the archivist for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee since 2020. I mean, can you share the scope of the organization's archive and collections? How large is it? What does it hold? How far do the materials date back? Just kind of giving an overall view of what that looks like. Our collection here is really cool. Um, It's wild because we are a little baby archives. We've only existed for about a decade. Prior to that, we were a lending library, sports performance focused, that was located at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center. And so coaches and athletes and trainers and whoever else would come in and check out materials, books, journals, videos, and use those to build their training programs. And that started in the 70s, lasted up until the early 2000s when it was really not being used like it once was. It became so much easier to get access to more up-to-date information from anywhere you were with internet access. And so throughout the time that the library existed, it also became kind of a drop zone for anything that was important to be saved, but no one really knew what to do with it. So there was a pretty good historic collection there as well. 
Um, but that was never the focus. In 2012, the organization hired their first archivist who really set up our entire collection. Um, and something that is really unique about it, because we started as a library, is that we have this weird legacy collection that came over from the library of videotapes and sports performance journals and all of those sorts of things. And in addition to the collection of records and manuscripts that are common for archives, we have over 15,000 three-dimensional museum artifacts. And we are still, as a result, serve as the permanent repositories for the Olympic and Paralympic Museum. Um, so it's really cool that our collection spans, even though it's relatively small, um, our archives are 5,000 square feet. We've got 1,500 to 2,000 linear feet of records, um, manuscripts, documents, 100,000 photos. We have this massive collection of, of artifacts, and it's really, really a diverse collection of different pieces. What are some of the especially rare or unique holdings in the archive? So one of the most unique collections um, that we hold. I was talking about how it's really unique that we have so many three-dimensional artifacts. We are home to the world's most complete collection of Olympic prize medals, all of them athlete won, Olympic torches, and Olympic participation medals. We have a full collection uh, going back to 1896 at the first Olympic Games, and they came to us as a set from one of our donors. With 2024 being an Olympic year, do your requests for materials from the archive differ at all, or does your workload increase? We try really hard to kind of keep the, the Olympic and Paralympic spirit going um, in between years, but absolutely, the requests increase. So we have more people looking for, for images, um, for photos of, of athletes and of different games. We have more, the research requests are on an uptick because more people are doing Olympic-type features for things. And then because we have such a big collection of artifacts, we also get a lot more requests for Olympic-related displays um, going up at libraries, museums, different places throughout the country. Particularly as a former athlete, someone that's been in this sphere, I mean, what does it mean to you to be able to preserve this history and work in this archiving collections? When I interned here in 2018 and decided this was my dream job, I think that was really a big part of it. When I was thinking about retiring, retiring is really hard for athletes, particularly for someone who has done it professionally at an Olympic level. It's such a huge part of that person's identity. And it was still difficult for me, but I think that some of that transition was eased a little bit by being able to stay in the movement um, and be a part of the Olympic Games, the Paralympic Games competitive sports, all of these things that were such a big part of my life for so long. I'm not competing anymore. I'm not an athlete, but I still get to stay attached to them. And that was huge for me. I think it gives me a unique perspective as well of the items coming in um, and what the the value of them is to the history of the movement and our organization and an appreciation for what being an Olympic or Paralympic athlete means um, and what it means to go to the games and be named to a national team or to an Olympic team, Paralympic team. National Library Week is coming up fast, April 7th to the 13th. The theme for National Library Week 2024, Ready, Set, Library, highlights how libraries give everyone a green light to something truly special, a place to connect with others, learn new skills, and focus on what matters most. No matter where you find yourself on life's roadmap, the library provides an inclusive and supportive community where everyone belongs. 
Get ready to explore, become inspired, and connect with your library this National Library Week. Libraries are there for you, all the way to the finish line. Visit ALA.org to learn more. Drew Evans is the Pickleball Librarian, an influencer who promotes the popular sport of pickleball on social media and in his community. He was previously Head of Reference and an Adjunct Professor of Law at Washburn University in Topeka, Kansas before his retirement. American Library's Senior Editor Greg Landgraf spoke with Evans to learn more about his pickleball journey and how he uses his platform to advocate for libraries. First off, can you tell us a bit about your career as a librarian? I started out at K-State. I was their like licensing coordinator back in the days where we really had to negotiate all the little details with electronic licenses. And I was also a reference generalist at uh, Kansas State University. My next library job was being a government documents librarian and reference desk coordinator at Washburn University School of Law. And I eventually worked my way up to middle management, becoming head of reference. I enjoy doing that. I mean, the nice thing I loved about the law is because I have a law degree, I was able to really focus in that area where at K-State, I was literally a reference generalist where I had to have a broader range of knowledge. Can you tell us a bit about pickleball and what is it and why is it kind of emerging right now? Why is it growing so fast? Well, pickleball is a fun sport. It's almost, it takes elements of badminton, tennis, table tennis, uh, even racquetball, and it combines it all together. The court is one third the size of a tennis court, so you don't have to run around as much. For me, what I like to think of is in the 70s and 80s, a lot of people played tennis. And those folks who did that started playing pickleball. And now we got the younger crowd getting into it and folks are just loving it because it really is fun. It's intergenerational. A lot of the game's supposed to be at what they call the non-volley zone, which is literally you're about 14 feet away from your opponent. And that allows for a lot of social interaction, a lot of joking around. You're, you're hitting the ball at a fast rate, but still you're getting the tuck smack with your opponents. I found folks in pickleball to really build bonds. One of our local players, they were having a baby and, you know, we had an older crowd, but everyone went, they, they went overboard and they really did it to throw a baby shower. And uh, we had another member in the community, a husband and wife who played, who lost a son and everyone just really poured in and, you know, really took care of them, reached out. Now, another thing I could say that's interesting about pickleball is the way it's growing so much that pro athletes are playing the sport. I heard when the NBA in 2020, when they did their bubble during the playoffs, the NBA decided to lock everyone into the, I believe it was Walt Disney World Complex. And the players, though, they were playing pickleball when they weren't on the court, just something to do. And I know a lot of sports teams play pickleball. The Kansas City Chiefs, go Chiefs, they actually have a yearly pickleball tournament. So what's happened is a lot of those professional players who played pickleball, who love the game, they've actually invested in professional teams. How did you personally get into pickleball? And then how did you become the pickleball librarian? I've been athletic for most of my life, and I used to play basketball. I used to run a church basketball league, and, you know, I was in my 40s and realized, holy smokes, all these kids are in their 20s, and one of these days, I'm going to really hurt something real bad. So I was at my local YMCA, hoping to find some fellow folks, some old guys, you know, I guess I could call myself that now, 
who were playing basketball and um, maybe join up with them. So I'm at the gym waiting for basketball and all of a sudden people start putting up portable nets and getting paddles and they were playing pickleball instead and they invited me to play. And I was like, well, you know, what the heck, let's try it. I was hooked from the first hit. And my story about being hooked with pickleball is very common. Folks who play it, they fall in love with it. When people ask me about pickleball and they want to try it, I warn them, this is addicting. How did you come to apply your librarianship skills to the sport? When I was first playing pickleball, as a good librarian, I said, what resources are out there? So I started looking for pickleball books, and there really weren't many at the time. And I found one online, and I was reading reviews for it, and the reviews were terrible. I mean, there were like two sentence reviews. So I went ahead and got the book, and I read it, and I just came up with a nice review. And I said, hey, wait a minute. When I was a librarian, I uh, wrote reviews for the Kansas Library Association and the American Association of Law Librarians. And I figure, hey, I can do this. I had a long career, a decent career, close to 20 years in the library field. And unfortunately, with the law school, I was downsized. And I just needed something to do with my time. Um, I wrote reviews before. I'm in a nice place in my life economically. Let me just try this. Let me just jump in. So I published my review and a lot of people liked it. Then I went to a camp of uh, Mark Renison of Third Shot Sports. He put on a very excellent camp in the St. Louis area. It was a great camp. I wrote up a, a review of the camp. Mark contacted me and said, hey, thanks so much for the review. And I love what you add to the sport. And have you ever thought about making videos? And, and from then on, on, I started making reviews and I started reviewing a lot of things that are pickleball related. In addition to books, I went into pickleball equipment. When I found interesting people, I put them on, did a review with them. I did a little series on pickleball love, and, and that was kind of fun just to share to the world. Because um, at that time, when I started pickleball around seven years ago, it wasn't anywhere close to. I mean, the sport has probably more than quadrupled since I started playing it. And it was just neat sharing the world of pickleball to people. I've seen a lot of your content you talk about reading generally and also specifically about banned books. Why is that and what has the response to that been? I'm really passionate about banned books. I mean, I can't stand censorship. You know, this talk about critical race theory. I mean, I try to educate people on that. One of my favorite videos I did was a couple of banned books that were for children that dealt with baseball. And it's just interesting how we're trying to ban the books. It's, it's insane. So I, I love sharing these books because what I like to do is bring to the world. And I ask them, why would these books ban? And we try to examine it. And we try to see what the goodness of this book, what does it provide? And you talked a bit about the community around pickleball and how it's a very social sport. Is that an area where librarians who are interested in providing service can focus their efforts? The cool things about where libraries can come into pickleball, first of all, of course, books. There's plenty of pickleball books that are out there we could share. I've heard about libraries doing things as loaning out paddles. And there's a lot about affordable paddles that we can loan out. Sometimes libraries do have pickleball programs. I believe uh, Wamego, Kansas, they 
opened up some courts and the librarian there actually hosted a program on the courts and they got a pro player or teacher in the area to come out and demonstrate how to play the game and teach people. I I thought that was pretty cool. Are there any other ways that people who are interested in pickleball generally can get started in the sport? The USA Pickleball has a list of ambassadors that you can find one in your area, or you could just check to see if there's a pickleball club. A lot of clubs have beginner's lessons. It's, It's really just more of a way to get your feet wet, to learn the basic rules of the game and play. But if you really find that you like the game and you're really dedicated to advance, I always recommend folks get lessons. There's also clinics around the country. Um, I mean, years ago, one of th- a thing I attended was a clinic in St. Louis, a little bit of a drive, but it was a fun adventure. So you got clinics, you got lessons. And also there's a lot of videos out there. Uh, you can go on YouTube, you can find training videos. I really enjoyed uh, primetime pickleball. Uh, my friend Nicole really puts on a lot of great video content of, that teaches you about the game. And you can like, search for specific stuff. If you just want to learn how to make a more aggressive top spin serve, you can just do a search on that on YouTube and you can find those tips. Can you tell me a bit about your operation and are there other people who work with you to produce the pickleball librarian content? I guess I am the main pickleball librarian, but we, uh, I like to consider us as a team, a pickleball librarian team. I mean, we have a handful of people. We have some good players around the Kansas city, um, and Topeka area that, you know, are what we call sponsored players. So we sponsor some players and sometimes, believe it or not, I would just find someone on the court and say, hey, can you hold this camera for me? And we just bring people in because, you know, I noticed that when you bring someone into something, they're more likely to be a part of it. National Library Week is coming up fast, April 7th to the 13th. The theme for National Library Week 2024, Ready, Set, Library, highlights how libraries give everyone a green light to something truly special, a place to connect with others, learn new skills, and focus on what matters most. No matter where you find yourself on life's roadmap, the library provides an inclusive and supportive community where everyone belongs. Get ready to explore, become inspired, and connect with your library this National Library Week. Libraries are there for you, all the way to the finish line. Visit ALA.org to learn more. Hilary Shiraldi is a business librarian and interim head of the Social Sciences Division at University of California, Berkeley. She's also an accomplished powerlifter who qualified for the United States Powerlifting Association's National Powerlifting Championships in 2019. She spoke with me about how she took up the sport and how her training intersects with librarianship in unexpected ways. So, Hilary, can you tell us a little bit about your journey of becoming a business librarian for Berkeley? So, I've been a business librarian for almost 20 years, and uh, most of that has been at UC Berkeley, but that's not uh, where I started. In the early 2000s, I was working as a stockbroker's assistant at a very small firm, and our firm also put out equity research, uh, like stock analysis, and I just found that I preferred like general business research to investment research specifically. My mom was a librarian. Through her, I knew that special libraries were a thing. I mean, she was a public librarian, but she went to library school while I was in high school and she was learning all about libraries. So I knew that the 
big investment banks in New York had libraries. They helped bankers do research on companies and industries and get financial data and things. And so I decided maybe I'd like to do that. And I went to library school part-time while I was still working at the small firm. And I eventually did get hired at one of the big investment banks in New York. That kind of a, you know, specialized corporate library is becoming a lot rarer now than it was then. But it was amazing training for becoming an academic business librarian, not just because uh, it gave you so much familiarity with business terminology and, you know, the language and the concepts of business um, and also being familiar with all those online sources and services, but also a really good understanding of the places where our MBA students would be going to work after they graduate. Can you explain to us what's powerlifting and how is it different from other forms of weightlifting? So there's um, a number of strength sports. There's like strongman, if you've ever seen a world's strongest man competition on ESPN. There are local amateur competitions doing kind of the same thing. There's Highland Games, which is a specifically Scottish version of that. Uh, There's CrossFit, which um, has gotten really popular. That's a mix of strength, speed, and endurance. There's bodybuilding, which is you're being judged on the appearance of your muscles and, and your muscle size. But the two main barbell sports are Olympic weightlifting, which is the one that's in the Olympics, the bar uh, starts on the floor and you got to get it over your head. There's two ways to do it. And powerlifting is the other barbell sport. That is three lifts. It is uh, the squat, the bench press and the deadlift. And you get three attempts at each, your best of each. That is your powerlift total. I'm wondering what inspired you to take up powerlifting? So I got into it online. Uh, Reddit's uh, R Fitness was at the time around 2010, 2011, and probably still today, um, you know, very much promoting barbell training. CrossFit was getting popular. And so I think that was like, you know, bringing barbell work more to people's attention. And, you know, I never thought of myself as a good athlete. I, you know, certainly grew up in a family that valued intellectual things more than physical things. I'm not very good at, you know, endurance, you know, skill and accuracy, sports with the balls and rackets and things. But I do remember, you know, high school gym class, you know, the phys ed requirement in college, I did like working with weights in the weight room. But you know, I didn't, really have a lot of knowledge what to do with that. So in 2010, 2011, people were recommending a specific program called Starting Strength by Mark Ripito. I was like, oh, a program, they're telling me what to do when I go to the weight room, I can, you know, do that, I can keep it going. It's, you know, a very efficient way to work out. So that uh, that really interests me. I read that at the 2019 USPA National Powerlifting Championships, You achieved your personal best, deadlifting 303 pounds, placing third nationally in your age slash weight class. Have you beat this personal best since then? I have not. That continues to be my personal best deadlift, my personal best in any lift. It took months of really intense training to reach that, and I'm really glad that I did it. I'm happy to know what my body is capable of, but I'm not sure if I anticipate wanting to do that again in the in the near future, maybe someday. I'm wondering if you can walk me through kind of this process of training for the 303 pound lift. 
So I definitely, at that time, I was training at a powerlifting gym with a coach. And it's typically three times a week. I think at that meet prep, I might have been training four times a week for like two to three hours per session doing, you know, not just the deadlifts themselves and the squat and the bench, but um, a lot of accessory lifts to, you know, keep everything healthy. I was making sure I got some, uh, you know, I already said, I don't really like cardio all that much, but, you know, doing some work on the rowing machine just to make sure I was as fit as I could be. And, you know, really have to also keep your nutrition on point, make sure you're getting enough protein and getting enough sleep and doing the work and also recovering appropriately. Some might be wondering, how does a librarian come to be a powerlifter? What are some of the reactions you've received from your colleagues or maybe students who discovered this about you? Uh, The faculty and staff have fun with it. There's a lot of really talented people at UC Berkeley. We've got a law professor who set an indoor cycling record, but, you know, occasionally I'll visit a class to do a library workshop and the instruction will, you know, when they're introducing me, they'll mention my powerlifting and students always ask, what's your best squat? How much do you squat? (laughs) That's fun. Do they want to compete with you at all? I did. I was once at a local meet and there was um, another person from my gym. I hadn't met him in person before, but it turns out he was an MBA student at the Haas School of Business. I was his librarian. So that was fun. We did get to compete together. So what have been some of your proudest moments as a powerlifter? let alone going, qualifying for nationals was really huge for me. Uh, I literally threw myself a party the, the day after that. And, you know, obviously so was nationals when I, you know, pulled 300 pounds off the floor um, and I placed in my uh, weight and age class. A few months after that, uh, in November, 2019, I competed at a, in a local meet at a different weight class. And at that meet, I got two California state records. In, in the squat and the power lift total. And I was awarded best master's lifter at that meet. So I, I was really proud of that. What have you learned from being a power lifter over the last more than a decade? I learned not to be afraid of hard work and things that, you know, it wasn't in my self-conception that I'm an athlete, let alone a nationally competitive athlete. So I would say one lesson is find your niche. There's something for everyone to excel at. I really believe that if you you find the thing that you really enjoy and are willing to put the effort into. And also just that it feels good to have a goal and, and accomplish something. And yeah, how rewarding it can be to, to put in a lot of work towards something that, that's meaningful to you. Do you have any tips for anyone who wants to take up powerlifting and for someone who might have a lot on their plate, like a librarian. Absolutely have tips for getting started. The biggest one is get in the gym and take up your space, take up space. Don't let anyone intimidate you or make you think you don't belong in the weight room. Everyone belongs in the weight room. Um, But, you know, I know that's really hard when you're first starting out. It was hard for me. Um, For me, what helped was having a program. Uh, having a purpose going in, knowing, okay, today I'm going to squat the empty bar. I'm going to bench with some dumbbells and I'm going to do three sets of lat pull downs. And I took notes in my little notebook and it kind of took away some of that anxiety. I wasn't looking around. What am I going to do? What am I doing? Like going in with a plan. So if 
any of this has listeners interested in barbell work, I really recommend the She's a Beast newsletter. It's by Casey Johnston. I'm a paid subscriber, but even the free tier has just so much good information for strength trainers of any experience level, any gender. She also has an ebook called Couch to Barbell. And it's specifically for novices. It's a 12-week program. It starts with dumbbell work you can do in the gym or in your home if you prefer. And then it moves on to the barbell and the squat rack in the weight room. The empty barbell weighs 45 pounds. It took me a couple months to work up to it. That's the case for a lot of people. And this is something that was really lacking for a long time. How do you get to the empty bar? How do you start? Casey Johnston has really filled that niche with this couch to barbell program. I wish I had had this when I was starting out and I'm so glad it exists. I recommend it to everybody. My Instagram is at Hilski, that's H-I-L underscore S-C-H-I. Listeners should absolutely reach out to me there if they want to talk libraries or strength sports. Next episode, we're exploring artificial intelligence. Is there a story or topic you'd like us to cover next? Let us know via email or social media. Thanks for listening.